This episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. I lived overseas for many years, and one of the biggest bottlenecks to international living is money transfers. You want to withdraw money from an ATM to access funds from your American bank account, and you don't realize you're getting hit with a $10 charge every single time you do that. Yeah, that did happen to me. So if you're dining in dollars or want to do business in bot, what a Wise account does is let you send, spend, and receive money in different currencies. Wise is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. This goes from a night out at a tapas bar in Spain to buying a property in the Yucatan. So if you're a digital nomad in Bali or want to send money back to mom, it's simple. And this is all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Wise works in over 160 countries, so your money's always at your fingertips. And over half of the transfers get their destination in less time than it takes to listen to this ad. Join 16 million customers and learn how a Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com unplugged. That's wise.com unplugged. One more time, wise.com unplugged. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. On September 21st, 1797, the Ottoman governor of Rumelia, or the European side of the empire, Mustafa Pasha, reported to Sultan Selim III that he, his imperial forces, and the local community were in a dangerous situation that could escalate into a large-scale conflict in the city of Filibe in Bulgaria. The official claimed that he had successfully co-opted the mountain bandit leader Karafazi. He also co-opted his companions and their bands and rolled them up into his own forces. He settled them in the Balkans and said he was on the cusp of ending their five-year-long reign of pillaging that had devastated much of the region. But Mustafa Pasha then complained that his plans went askew by another Ottoman officer. The governor of Anatolia, Ali Pasha, marched his troops into the outskirts of Filibe and attacked his divisions that included the bandit Karafazi and completely disregarded Mustafa Pasha's pledges of amnesty given to these bandit leaders and their men. But then the Anatolian governor added insult to injury by doing some of his own pillaging. He indiscriminately plundered properties and slaughtered bystanders. Mustafa Pasha continued his letter and noted that local inhabitants were now talking about how it was his failure to uphold his word of honor of amnesty for the former bandits that led to their suffering. As a consequence, the pardoned bandits and local inhabitants were rumored to be on the verge of a rebellion against the Ottoman Empire. Well, the Anatolian governor, Ali Pasha, wrote his own letter to the sultan denying all charges. Two days later, he accused Mustafa Pasha spreading false rumor about what actually happened in Filibe, and this began a heated exchange of conflicting accounts that drew in governors from all over the empire. Was the Ottoman army indiscriminately attacking people who received amnesty? Were they not doing that? Were inhabitants joining ranks with the bandits? Were the bandits returning to their old lives of plundering? This was getting really confusing. Ali Pasha, the governor of Anatolia, went so far as to charge that not only was Rumelian governor Mustafa Pasha too soft on former bandits and personally bargaining with dangerous men that he couldn't control, but that, according to local rumor, Mustafa Pasha's administration was in cahoots with these criminals. 
Ali Pasha wrote further letters stating that only a powerful and trustworthy person like himself could clean up this web of deceit and drain the swamp. Okay, well, who was this bandit leader that they were talking about? Karafazi. Karafazi achieved notoriety for leading a pillaging enterprise that crossed boundaries and spread all over the Balkans, into Bulgaria, into Macedonia, and other places, and recruited many former soldiers. Thousands of veterans were left without work after the Habsburg-Ottoman-Russian War of 1788 to 1792. These soldiers joined the ranks of the bandit Karafazi, and their operations spread throughout the Ottoman Balkans in Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania, Macedonia, Greece, and Turkey. Karafazi had no official title or fixed seat of power, and this is why he hasn't shown up in Ottoman sources until very recently with the work of such scholars as Tolga Esmer, who is my advisor. But Karafazi operated a powerful mobile bandit network that operated throughout the Balkans. And there's a reason why he doesn't show up in a lot of chronicles, and his story was whitewashed, and that's because of his operation's success and ability to deceive imperial officials time and time again. He was a huge embarrassment to the government. But Karafazi's story demonstrates that there were other players between the provinces and Istanbul, besides local notables and renegade imperial officials. That's because the Ottoman government relied upon bandit networks for different reasons. The leaders of these networks fulfilled important functions in Ottoman politics and government, even if the Ottoman government and other imperial powers labeled such men as irregulars and bandits. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the Ottoman bandit. And as you can see here, this is a confusing subject to talk about because there's not a clear line between bandit and legitimate government representative. In order to explain what I'm talking about, I want to introduce a concept called a monopoly of violence. This is an idea from political science and a core concept of public law, which goes back to Thomas Hobbes' book, Leviathan. And what it means is that the state is the only institution that lays claim to the monopoly on the legitimate use of physical force. So from a government's perspective, you can only kill people legally if you're in the army, if you're a member of the police, if you're an executioner, you're some sort of government official. The government doesn't allow blood feuds or family feuds between clans in the mountains because government representatives aren't doing the killing. Before the modern period, the state did not have a monopoly on violence. For example, in the Middle Ages, private warfare was permitted under certain conditions. A baron or a lord could engage in private warfare. And religious courts had sole jurisdiction over some types of offenses, like heresy or sex crimes. But in the modern era, the state exists wherever a single authority can legitimately authorize violence. The Ottoman Empire didn't get to the point where it had enough control that could maintain a monopoly on violence, and sometimes it used bandit networks for its own ends. The Ottoman government was happy to allow bandits into their ranks when they were useful. For example, the most successful sea captain in Ottoman history was Hydretin Barbarossa. He was an Ottoman admiral of the fleet who scored major victories for the Ottoman Empire in the 1500s and allowed them to have dominance over the Mediterranean. But before he was a captain, he was a privateer, or some would say pirate, in the Mediterranean who fought against the Knights Hospitaller, who were based on the island of Rhodes. And I've done previous podcast episodes about the history of the Mafia in the United States, in Japan, in many other places. And the point is that even in the modern era, the state doesn't have complete monopoly on violence. The Yakuza in Japan, for example, in many situations exist parallel with the government, and the government of Japan informally gives them jurisdiction over different areas. 
In fact, that's where the mafia comes from. In Sicily, the Italian government really didn't consolidate control. And when there was a black hole of security for locals, the mafia filled this in. They provided justice to people who asked for it. The lines between legitimate government and illegitimate government had not consolidated. And this is the situation the Ottoman Empire constantly finds itself in. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.